This is an AMI podcast. AMI's mission is to provide content that entertains, informs, and empowers Canadians who are blind or partially sighted. We continually strive to improve the quality and relevance of our services to be as inclusive as possible. Join AMI's research panel and make your opinion count. Email panel at ami.ca and join over 1,400 Canadians sharing their voice. That's panel at ami.ca. Today on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, we're talking dogs and especially guide dogs. Miss Lily will have some questions for me about guide dogs. Our bucket list destination is the CNIB Guide Dog School, where they only train guide dogs. And I've got some tips on keeping your guide dog clean. Meet you back at the campsite. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. What are you going to school us on today? Well, I'm going to actually play the interviewer here. I'm going to ask you questions. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I'm going to give the facts. So. All right. All right. All right. So, first question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you get your first guide dog? Wow, that was wicked. <laughs> wicked. And oh, he yeah, was named wicked. after some sort of Ewok from Star Wars. Uh, he was a nice big black Labrador. I got him in 1986. Okay. Yeah. So, it says here, the first guide dog was trained in 1916. And it was a German Shepherd, and his name was Buddy. Buddy. Yeah, not very creative, huh? <laughs> I, I heard the first guide dogs, they yeah. just used leashes. And, and you, they just dragged you around. As a blind person, they just hauled you around like a, like a wagon. That's kind of what they do now, Boo. No. Too. They, 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 no. They just drag you around like no, a wagon. No, yeah. they do not. They're much more refined. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's like the harness is more like a joystick now. You know, you can speed them up, slow them down, left, right. It's amazing how well these dogs are trained. Very refined. Cue the dog chewing on rocks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he's not chewing on rocks. He, he does so. He, he does so. He's right here between us. We just got to keep him from gnawing on our toes. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, how many guide dogs have you had, and which one was your favorite? Well, look, it's been 33 years, and uh, I have to admit, uh, you know, there was a couple duds. You know, I got them, <laughs> took them home a week later, brought them back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this one's not working out so well. He just tried to eat my wife's puppy. <laughs> Remember that one? That was so bad. Oh, that was so bad. That was so bad. We won't even say what school he came from. <laughs> <laughs> But so there was a couple duds. But what's but, your favorite? Oh, you know what? Every guide dog I've had, and I've had five, six good ones, they've all been, they've all come to me at a special time in my no, life. No, I don't like that answer. My, what's your favorite dog? Oh, the first one. Yeah, okay. It's always the first one. There you go. <laughs> it's always Honesty the first man one. there. But you know why I like the first one? Because he ran away often. You know, well, no, that bothered me. Uh, yeah, he he hunted too. Like, yeah, yeah. In the summer, when I was fishing cod in Cape Breton Island, I would just let him go every day. He would just run outside the cabin, and he learned the whole peninsula. He hunted everything, like muskrats and rabbits and squirrels, and he could fish. He could catch fish, and uh, he just lived outside all summer. And then we'd come back. I'd go back to university, and he'd be inside. Inside all all winter and fall, winter and spring, you know, going to school with me. 
endlessly, university and college. Yeah, man, that dog had two two totally distinct lives. Scholar. And, and a, a scholar. A gentleman and a scholar, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, well, guide dogs, they work an average of seven years before they retire. He worked. He worked ten. Good for him! I wow. Think, I think he had a good, healthy life. Right? Clearly. Yeah, yeah. So he was fit. Cancer got him in the end, but he was thirteen. He didn't suffer long. <laughs> nice. That's the oldest one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, what would be your dream dog? Like what? What breed? Oh, I love those red bone coon hounds. Yeah, I know. You do. I, was, <laughs> I was watching Tracker Tracker on TV the other day on Discovery Channel, and they had a red bone coon hound, and it was specially trained to to track down runaway pets. So it was tracking down all sorts of, you know, for help people find their pets. It ran, got out of the backyard and oh, took yeah, off. Oh, yeah, found a ferret. A ferret, uh, a cockapoo. And a four-pound Yorkie. Yeah. So do you think the dogs know you're blind? I've asked guide dog trainers this in the past, mm-hmm. you know. And, I, and I, I, like most blind people, think that our guide dogs know we can't see. Mm-hmm. And the guide dog trainers... Uh, are thoroughly convinced that they have no idea. The dogs have no idea that we can't see. They just know if they don't get out of the way, we'll walk right into them. And they know that when they're guiding us around, that if we walk into something, we'll cry and bleed. And and they'll feel really bad because dogs are sensitive and they don't want to see us crying and bleeding. Especially you. You're a crier. (laughs) What are you saying? I'm not. Yes, yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't want to hurt your feelings. We we wouldn't be able to finish the show. Uh, So, yeah, so the average guide dog knows, like, over 30 commands. Would you say that's, um, that's accurate? The commands is one thing, but then you can teach them things. Like, mm-hmm. you can teach them the name of your children, you know, find so-and-so. So that's adding to the command to find. Yeah. Right? yeah. But the find command is definitely one. I would say 30 commands. I never counted, but uh, I believe it. You know, it's just, they're just so amazing at what they can do. Mm-hmm. Huh. What do you like most about your new guide dog? The nameless one. The nameless one. The one that's <laughs> chewing on our feet. And... Is he on your feet now? Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you like most about him? I got him in the summer 2019. We made all those videos about him. And so I can't say his name because the videos aren't out yet. They're coming out soon. So we'll reveal the wow, name of the dog. The mystery. <laughs> the mystery. mystery. Who got the dog boat in the end out yeah. of all the eight puppies we played with oh, and yeah. trained, right? Yeah. And then COVID hit. And uh, and he's just been such great company for all of us as we're hunkering down and bubbling up and mm-hmm. yeah. he's just been such he's oh, such he keeps our toes entertained. He's such a positive dog. Yeah, he has a good sense of humor. He really does. He's just a happy, happy dog. The happiest, most positive, you know, jovial dog I've ever had in my life. Absolutely. Oh yeah, he'll wag his tail at anything. <laughs> well, he's very social. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Cool. Time for the bucket list. You know, if you want to get a guide dog, this is the guide dog center you want to have on your bucket list. It's the new CNIB guide dog program. I've tested it out. I'm super happy with the results. And I've got Karen and Andrew on the line with us. Why don't you guys introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Lawrence. It's, uh, it's Karen Hanlon here. I'm the manager of canine development and training at CNIB Guide Dogs. Hi, Lawrence. It's Andrew, Andrew Hanlon, and I'm the manager of the Guide Dog Program. 
Nice to have you guys on the show, man, uh, on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. I mean, we know each other well. We spent some time with each other last year and doing some fun stuff, but we'll get into that in a minute. But, Andrew, why don't you talk to me a bit about what makes the CNIB Guide Dog Program truly unique? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, Lawrence. Uh, I think we have a, a, a theme that I am extremely proud of. We have uh, four IGDF certified instructors, and uh, we've now just started a new apprentice. Uh, and these people just work the socks off. Um, and the idea being that, you know, you've applied to us for a guide dog and we want you to come to us. And you know what? The number one thing for me is you should be having fun. Uh, I expect to see clients who are coming and laughing. Uh, they're having a, uh, a joke with people. They're getting on well with people. Uh, it's a very, very serious job that we do. Uh, but if you're frightened, you're never going to learn anything. So we aim to make everything we do the most positive experience we can. Uh, we are doing a lot of um, what I would call domiciliary training or in-home training uh, for clients who require it and who yeah. can't come to our area. And this just means that we can come and teach you everything you need to know about guide dog mobility in your home area. Uh, and there are advantages to that, to be honest, Lawrence. You know, some people think this is wonderful. I can uh, learn the routes that I need in my home area rather than coming to Carlton Place, uh, learning routes here that you'll never do again. And I get that. If you live in Vancouver, you really need to know your way about uh, Carlton Place. But at the same time, there's other people who would say, well, you know what, I want to come to Carlton Place because I want to do nothing but concentrate on the dog and on learning everything there is about that young ability. Because to be honest with you, as you know, Lawrence, better than anybody, Anyone who tells you that getting a guide dog is easy are either telling you fibs or they've never come and, uh, and, and applied to a guide dog or had a guide dog. It's not easy. You've got to concentrate. You've got to concentrate on what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to miss that bonding experience. Absolutely right. tear you on that one, man. Totally. Karen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the dog program and where the dogs are coming from and uh, how that's going? As a new program, we don't have our own breeding program yet. Um, that's something to come in the future. But until we get that up and running, we, we are acquiring our puppies from Australia, believe it or not. So we get them from um, an amazing uh, breeder of service dogs over in Australia, and it's called Career Dogs Australia. And of the 88 dogs we have in our program so far, um, 86 of them have come from Australia. So they come in, in groups of two or four, so they're, they travel in a kennel together. Um, and so far it's gone really well. We've been really impressed with the quality of the dogs that we get from there. And they're, they come from generations of, uh, of dogs that are bred specifically for service dogs. So, so that's where they come from. And, uh, once they get here, they're placed with, with volunteers, puppy raisers in the community. And we have different um, puppy raising programs across Canada. We're, we are a national program, so we want to be spread out across the country. So we have puppies being raised in Halifax and Toronto and Winnipeg and Regina and Calgary so far. And soon, eventually, we will, we will be heading farther west, too. So we will be truly a coast-to-coast uh, program. That's, yeah. that's so cool. And, you know, I have to admit, sometimes the kids catch me talking uh, with an Australian accent to my dog, right? <laughs> I just want them to make them feel comfortable. But yeah. <laughs> they think I'm nuts. But, you know, it's not just for that. There's other reasons, too, they've got. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> when they arrive here, their yeah. world is truly turned upside down, especially if oh. they, they well, because they come from down under, but also if they come in the middle of Canadian winter from an Australian summer, it's a bit of a shock to their system, but pretty soon they, <laughs> they adjust and, and uh, they become very Canadian before too long. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, we certainly demonstrated that in the videos we made. Andrew, talk to us about the uh, the center you you guys have bought and you're fixing up. And yeah. how's that coming along? I mean, that's such an amazing property there. That's such a project. It's just absolutely uh, astonishing. I think it's going to be one of the a world-class training center in North America, if not the world. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. We uh, got this a couple of years ago. It's uh, on a 150-acre site, uh, basically farmland. There's uh, an old Victorian farmhouse on that, and there's uh, an old, uh, sort of a huge barn. It's about 160 foot long by about 60 foot wide, where horses used to be trained. There was kennel in each side of that barn, but uh, in, in quite a poor state. So I guess to give you a quick update, one side of that uh, barn where the kennel was has been completely uh, gutted, and we've put new kennel in there. And I, I honestly do think I've been, you know, been around a, a few kennels. This is absolutely world class. Uh, so that was phase one, really. Is this office space and there's little kitchen areas for the staff to make a cup of tea and what have you. There's uh, a, a room where we can check dogs over, where our vet can come in and give them little checks. Uh, so it, it's really come on. Uh, it seems to have taken forever. In actual fact, the contractors did a great job. Huge kennels with, uh, in fact, it's unfair to call them kennels. We call them pods now. This is the canine campers. And these are the pods that dogs go into. Uh, all glass fronted, so when the dogs are in there, they're looking out. They can see all the staff that are wandering up and down. Uh, if you look out the other side, you can see the open fields. You know, there's no bars or anything like that. It's not like the old days when dogs looked as though they were in prison. It's very open plan, extremely clean and tidy. We have the uh, canine campus staff that you know just keep it spotless, as you would expect. So we're very, very proud of that. Still work to do, Lawrence. You know, it's a ton of stuff to do. The uh, kennel is on the left-hand side of the barn. It will, will probably be the next thing that we do. That will be phase two or three. And then we hope that the actual barn itself will be probably around about phase four. That will be a state, a world-class training centre. We'll have uh, escalators in there, elevators. There'll be walkways. We'll recreate city scenes that we can move. You know, we want to have lights in there. We can put on when it gets dark. Uh, recreate traffic situations. So at the minute, it's all a little bit in the planning stage. But uh, I think within a couple of years, oh. it's the kind of thing that we hope it won't just be for guide dogs. We hope people will come and do long cane training or white cane training there, do, learn daily living skills. That will be a busy, busy centre. And uh, yeah, lots of I know you saw the very start of it, but you need to come for a visit and have a look round and you'll see just how smart it is looking now. Really, really coming on the tree. Well, you even got the in-floor heating systems in there. You know, when they're lying down, they're not lying on cold concrete or anything like oh, that. Oh, they're all underfloor heating. I mean, I go in there. I, I think I, I might as well stay here. Could I be supper here? <laughs> underfloor heating. It's all lit nicely. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. that The dogs are so well looked after, as they should be. Uh, we are very, very proud of it, I have to say. The team that are working in there do a great job. 
I like the idea of the glass partitions as well because, yeah. you know, when you just have bars, the noise level gets so high. When one dog barks, they all get excited. They all bark. This way, at least, you know, the dogs don't get stressed out by the other dogs if someone barks. Yeah, and we can bring them out at any point. And, you know, we do bring them out and they sit with members of the staff while we do our paperwork, that type of thing. We can take them for nice sort of country walks. There's fields there. We can do free running in. So it, it, it really is uh, It's a beautiful spot. And as I say, a couple of years, that's uh, it's going to be the place to be without a doubt. Oh man, it, it already is. It already is. <laughs> Karen, talk to us about the, um, you know, if you want to get a guide dog, what are some of the perks that come along with getting a CNIB guide dog? Like I know some of the perks and I'm just so happy. I mean, you guys have your own vet, you know, you work with my vet, you know, it's all taken care of top quality food. It's just, you know, man, it's just taking a lot of stress off me. That's right, yeah. Well, CNIB, um, even before the launch of the program, we felt very strongly that nobody should be without a guide dog who, who wants to have a guide dog simply because of the financial barriers that come along with ownership of a dog. It's expensive to feed a dog, and it's certainly expensive to uh, to pay for vet care for a dog through, through their life, even routine vet care. You know, the cost of um, parasite prevention, so flea and tick and heartworm and you know, that's pretty costly for a big dog. That's mm. just the routine stuff. So from the beginning, CNIB committed to paying for all the vet costs for all of the dogs that are working right now and for their working life, provided they stay with their handler. And we also pay with the pay for the dog food throughout their life, uh, their working life. Um, so those take on the, the major costs of owning a dog. So it should it should mean that nobody... Um, who wants a dog can't be without one simply because it costs too much. Is there a website where people can go to get an application? Yes, absolutely. There's a, Our website is cnibguidedogs.ca, um, and we are in the process of updating our application. We are very, very close to having it all online. It's going to be extremely efficient. Right now, it's just by email, um, but within hopefully within the next month or so, it'll all be up and running online, um, so people can just simply go on their their computer and fill it in online, and 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 everything is generated from there to to the the rest of the application process, which would involve an, uh, a home assessment, you know, just to make sure that the dog is going to be a benefit to the person and that they're able to physically manage having a, a large breed dog because they're not small, they're big and mm-hmm. they can be strong. Um, and then once we've got all the information we need and we think they're good to go, then we, we put them on the list and we start looking for, for a dog for, for them. Nice. nice. And that's the fun part. When we get the dog and we put the two of them together and, and then they're off and running. Well, we certainly had a lot of fun doing that last year. I mean, starting in, in January, in the cold winter, meeting the puppies and then mm-hmm. meeting those young candidates, you know, those seven, eight young candidate guide dogs that were entering the training program and, and you allowing me to sort of participate in that to a degree, you know, to bring an outdoor flavor to that. I mean, you know, you know me and I do a lot of stuff in the outdoors with my dogs and there's a lot yeah. of other people with low vision who live outside city limits who you know who want to do outdoor stuff and and people who live in cities who want to get outside with and outdoors with their dogs off the sidewalk so you know the stuff we did with those dogs was just absolutely extraordinary i was still disappointed i didn't get to line them all up at the end and and pick one out for myself but yeah (laughs) it was it was really uh 
for us too. It was it was quite new. It was uh, getting us to think outside the box a little bit because there are sort of traditions and old way of doing things. And no, you can't do that with your dog. And no, you can't do that. And now we're sort of saying, well, why not? You know, if it's safe and if you're happy and the dog is happy and, and safe, then, you know, why not? The dog should fit in with your life. And if you want to go cross-country skiing with your guide dog, then, you know, what's wrong with that? So it, it was nice for us and to be out on the, the speedboat and, you know, to be able to experience these different things and just think think in a different way about how a guide dog can help somebody, not just walking down the sidewalk. Um, so that was great experience for us, too. Disclaimer, folks, I was not driving the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I never drive the boat, fast. <laughs> but I do have a big boat that does go fast, but I have qualified people who drive it. I drive my little porta boat and my dogs love going in my little plastic folding electric boat with me. They enjoy it. It's just uh, to be, I think dogs love being on the water as much as I do because you can see all around. Nothing can sneak up on you. The whole world is opened up to you. It's, you know, the vistas, the sounds, the smells just come across the water. It really expands your senses. You know what? Thank you, you guys, for everything. And uh, we'll be talking more as uh, we start to roll out the videos of makings of a guide dog. Uh, and we start to, the 10 videos that we made together about that yeah. process, you know, including episode eight, when we when you guys show up in my driveway and <laughs> with your choice of the guide dog for me. And I have to say, it's been a year. Best choice ever. Best choice oh, ever. Oh, fantastic. my God. We're so happy. We're all so happy. We're very excited to to see the final product once it's once it's out there. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Well, thanks, you guys, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. All right, love. Nice talking to you. Take care. Today's tip is brushing your guide dog. You know, it's not easy to keep a guide dog clean unless you've got a poodle, and then they require another type of uh, styling. But this is a dog that loses its fur all year round. And uh, particularly in the winter and in the summer, when they're shedding their summer coat and uh, winter coat. So how do you brush a dog so that he's comfortable, so that you're getting it off and keeping them clean? Because these dogs are going everywhere with you. They're going into public spaces. You've got to respect people that have allergies. You've got to keep the fur under control so it doesn't get on people's clothing and people's food and keep people healthy so they don't get to have allergenic reactions to your dog. So what I'm going to do here is I got a, a spritzer bottle with some water. I always find giving them a little light spritz before I brush keeps the fur from flying around so much and makes it a little bit stickier so it comes off faster. I'm going to spritz them a little bit up and down around the back of the neck along his body. I'm just going to rub it in with my hand a little bit. I don't want to soak them, just moisten them. Sit. Good boy. The thing is, when you're brushing a dog, you don't want to hold him tight, just loosely, so he feels comfortable. No animal likes to be held tight. The more you hold them tight, the more they want to escape. So here I've got a, a T-rake. It's got about 30 teeth across the front, just steel teeth. There's a T-shaped handle, and I'm just going to lift up his chin and with my left hand, grab his right ear with my left hand, and then I'm just going to rake down below his ear, careful not to... My hands are protecting his ear, so I'm not going to get the ear itself in the rake. I'm going all the way around it his neck around the front of his neck and around the right side of his neck and then i'm going to lift up his fur a little bit get that loose skin just around his collar so the loose skin doesn't jam up and i get that nice and clean i'm coming down around his shoulder and then i'm going to lift up his front right leg with my left hand do a little bit under his belly now i'm going to shift hands going to put my right hand around his neck grab his left ear and i'm again do the left side of his head 
left front of his neck, down through his chest area. I'm not going to ever do his nose or on top of his head. I don't want to get near his eyes. I don't want to accidentally hurt his eyes. You know, that stuff will take care of itself. You don't have to do everything. But it's important, the loose hair on the outer coat off, you get the undercoat, the downy hair, you get that cleaned out. That's his insulation, keeps him cool in the summer, warm in the winter. You don't want that getting all clumpy underneath. And you want to get that dander, the little white flecks of loose skin. That's what causes people's allergies. So now I'm going to just do the back of his neck, grabbing a bunch of skin, keeping it taut as I brush it so it doesn't clump up. Make sure I clean it. I'm, always, I'm going straight back, but I'm also doing it at 45. So I'm doing from the middle of the back down, middle of the back down, middle of the back down as I work my way down his body, middle of the back down. Now, stand up, good boy. Now I'm gonna just grab some fur here, just in front of the shoulder with my left hand, I'm doing around the right side of his body, working my way back, again, 45-ing it all the time. I just find when you, with a little 45 action on an angle, it just gets that hair, gets that hair that's just about to fall off, it gets it out without having to actually be loose at that same time. So you're sort of getting a jump on things. Now I'm doing around his haunch. There's lots of loose skin there, lots of light fur there. So I'm doing that all different angles from the back down to his leg, from the belly up to his back, 45ing both sides, changing sides, grabbing some loose skin on both sides. Now I'm right to his back. So I'm working the back on, on actually directly right across 90 degrees across his back just getting all that loose fur up cleaning up now i'm going to do his rear right haunch with just with the one side of the uh, rake now i'm combing it down i combed it up the unnatural way now i'm combing it back down natural get that natural look again changing hands just the edge of the uh, rake here coming up his right side haunch and then down again yeah there you go now his tail Dogs don't have feeling in their tail, but they have a lot of feeling in the base of their tail. So just lightly, I'm holding it. I'm combing it out all the way around as I'm holding it, starting at the base, working my way to the tip. There we go. And that's a, that's a good brush full of hair there. Last thing, I've got this nice bristly little brush. It's an egg-shaped kind of brush with a strap that goes over my fingers. And it's just a soft bristle. So I'm just gonna bring that over his fur just to get any loose stuff and get the dander and all the stuff that I stirred up with the rake just to pull that off his body and give him that nice little gloss at the end, you know? So everything's nice and straight. I'm going with the fur, with the uh, direction of the fur with this. Just cleaning him up nice. And there you go. Come here. <laughs> all right. There you go. That's how you brush a guide dog or any dog that has fur. In 1986, I was one of the first people in Ontario, one of the first 10, to get a guide dog. Things have come a long way since then, but they are dogs, and there will always be people who don't understand that we have the right to bring our guide dogs with us everywhere. Everywhere except for zoos. Yeah, you can't bring your dog into a zoo. Apparently, it can upset the wild animals. Guide dogs also mean work, but if you want to have that companionship, and the ability to get around both on and off the grid, you know, off the sidewalk, there's nothing better. Canada's a big country, and if you want to get outside the city, get a guide dog. Follow me on Facebook, 
Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. Thanks to Bill Shackleton, Sam Robinson, and Paula Janine for their technical assistance. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.